Welcome to this podcast by The Rocks Church. We hope you find it challenging and inspiring. For more information, visit therocks.church. Well, good morning, beautiful people. It's wonderful to be with you together again. And of course, we are living in interesting times, aren't we? With the reality of COVID now in the community and all sorts of new complexities being generated that we have to navigate. But nevertheless, it is wonderful that we still get together. And we have a whole bunch of people in the room here at Cannington, a whole bunch of people in the room down at Beldivis, and a whole bunch of you joining us online right now from your living room. So I want you to know wherever you are, today we are one in heart, we are one in mind, we are one in purpose, we are one body, we are one church. And I love the fact that we have... Uh, got creative and inventive and innovative and uh, did what we needed to do to make sure that we can stay together and continue to meet like this. We uh, might have to change the plans, but we are relentlessly committed to our purpose. And so I'm absolutely thrilled that you're joining us today. And wherever you are, whether you're in the room on one of our locations or joining us from your living room right now, God is with all of us. And He is in us and around us and ready to meet with us and speak to us. And so I want to encourage you to lean in and listen closely because He has something very special that He wants to say to us today. Now, we're in Galatians chapter 6 this morning. And I want to read just one verse, reading from the New Living Translation of the Bible. And this is the Apostle Paul speaking. He says, Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone especially to those in the family of faith. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good. Uh, I love that word opportunity because the truth of the matter is opportunity is all around us. Opportunity to do good is everywhere. The question is, can you see it? When some people look at our world today, all they can see is crime and corruption and poverty and sickness and disease and suffering and adversity and difficulty and hostility, but others can see opportunity. There's opportunity to make a difference. There's opportunity to show people a better way. There's opportunity to be a peacemaker, opportunity to be a channel of God's love and His hope and His encouragement. There's opportunity everywhere. The question is, can you see it? And if we're going to be the kind of Jesus followers who fulfill this mandate in Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, to do good to everyone, then we have to be the kind of people who see the opportunity. Um, I remember a number of years ago, I was walking uh, to a park nearby where we live with my daughter. She was about four years old at the time, and it had been raining, so there was water everywhere. And as we walked down the path, we came up to a rather large puddle right in the middle of the path. And I was holding her by the hand. So I tugged gently on her hand to lead her around the puddle. And she yanked her hand out of mine, took two large steps, leapt into the air, and landed with both her feet right in the middle of the puddle. Splashed water everywhere, right, over me and over her to her great delight. And it suddenly dawned on me in that moment how differently we were seeing the world. Because to me, as a 47-year-old or a 40-something-year-old at the time, uh, that puddle represented an obstacle. But to my daughter, it was an opportunity. So what are you seeing in your world right now? Are you seeing obstacle? Are you seeing opportunity? Because a big part of being a follower of Jesus is that we see the world differently. We see life through a very different set of lenses. 
Listen to what the uh, half-brother of Jesus, James, the very first leader of the early church, had to say about this. Reading from James chapter 1, verse 2. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for whining and complaining. <laughs> okay, sorry, wrong translation. All right, consider an opportunity for self-pity and regret. No, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Consider yourself blessed. Consider yourself fortunate. Be thankful because you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. James is saying that for us as followers of Jesus, when adversity and difficulty and hostility come our way, it is an opportunity for us to go deeper and wider in our faith. So we don't allow it to overwhelm us or discourage us or distract us because deep down we know this is a chance for us to learn and grow. So as followers of Jesus, we don't just see adversity. We see an opportunity to learn and grow. We don't just see poverty. We see an opportunity for generosity. We don't just see suffering. We see an opportunity to be a source of consolation and comfort. We don't just see hostility. We see an opportunity to be peacemakers. And to be those who lead reconciliation. In other words, as followers of Jesus, we have a redemptive outlook on life. We just simply see differently. So when you find yourself in a situation where you are confronted by adversity and difficulty and hostility and all those imperfect, unwanted circumstances of life, you've got to stop and ask yourself the question, where is the opportunity in this situation to do good? And maybe pray, God, help me to see what I'm not able to see myself. God, help me to see the opportunity where perhaps others are only seeing adversity and difficulty. Um, the other day, a really good friend of mine was telling me about an organization that he uh, partners with in Kenya, an organization called Kenya Relief. And this particular organization uh, was started by a man by the name of Steve James, who is a follower of Jesus. He's a Christian. And uh, this particular organization provides free medical services and life-changing kind of surgeries and medical care to people who are too impoverished to be able to pay for it themselves. And what is fascinating about this organization is how it came into being and why it exists. Now, back in 2001, Steve and his wife had a, a daughter, a 19-year-old daughter by the name of Brittany. And tragically, she passed away quite suddenly and unexpectedly. And I don't know of anything that is more difficult for a parent to navigate than losing a child. And uh, at the time, Brittany had been sponsoring a child through a child sponsorship program. And so Steve decided that he would continue the sponsorship to honor his daughter's life and legacy. And as part of that sponsorship, he traveled to Kenya to go and meet this child and to see the place for himself. Now, Steve is a nurse by vocation, by profession. And when he got there, he was just absolutely stunned at the level of medical need that exists. And so he went back to the U.S. and he kind of had this growing conviction that he has to do something about it. So he gathered a whole bunch of family and friends and they got together and they raised some money and they went to Kenya and they spent a significant amount of time in Kenya volunteering their skills and their services to provide medical care to people who were just simply too poor to be able to afford those services for themselves. And... Kenya Relief was born. And since then, there have been literally hundreds of thousands of Kenyans who have been on the receiving end of life-changing and life-saving surgeries and medical procedures that they simply would not have been able to pay for themselves because Steve and his team take anywhere from 20 to 30 
uh, volunteers, medical professionals who volunteer their time and their skills. Uh, they travel over to Kenya and they provide this urgent and necessary care. And they train um, nurses and doctors and caregivers in this particular organization. And lives are being changed as a, as a result. But friends, the only reason why that organization exists is because Steve was able to see opportunity in the midst of his own tragedy. And so the question is, what are you seeing? Are you just seeing obstacle right now, or are you seeing opportunity? Are you just seeing adversity and difficulty and hostility, or are you seeing opportunity? Because if we're going to be the kind of people who fulfill this biblical mandate of Galatians 6 verse 10, to do good to everyone, then we have got to be able to see the opportunity. Now, secondly, I reckon that if we're going to be the kind of people who fulfill this biblical mandate as we endeavor to live out our mission to be a church that unchurched people love to engage with, and as we endeavor to show our city that God is for them and that we are for them, the second thing I reckon that we're going to have to do is we're going to have to be willing to seize the opportunity. It's one thing to see it. It's another thing to seize it, to lay hold of it, to take it. In fact, somebody once said, the opportunity of a lifetime must be seized in the lifetime of the opportunity. In other words, opportunities come and go. They don't hang around forever. Opportunities can be lost and opportunities can be missed. In fact, someone else once said, uh, sometimes opportunities are missed because they show up wearing overalls looking like work. <laughs> and I think that's true. Right? Sometimes we miss opportunities. They pass us by. And so we have to lay hold of them. We have to seize them. And that's why I love in Galatians 6 verse 10, the fact that Paul says, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good. We should do good. Turn to your neighbor and say, do. Now turn to your neighbor on the other side and say, do be, do be, do. <laughs> We've got to do good, right? Paul does not say here, consider good or contemplate good or imagine good or discuss good or evaluate good. He says, do good. In other words, there's an imperative here toward action. You have to lay hold of the opportunity by doing something. Can you imagine walking into your 16-year-old son's room and saying to him, my boy, you need to clean this room up before you leave today because it looks like a bomb hit it. Giving you a little insight into our family life here. Right? And then you come back three hours later and the room's still not clean. And then you come back five hours later and it's still not clean. And so you say to your son, when are you going to clean up this room? And he says to you, well, Dad, I'm thinking about it. <laughs> I'm planning to do it. In fact, I've called a bunch of friends, and they're going to come around, and we're going to sit around for 45 minutes, and we're going to discuss cleaning my room, and we're going to talk about all the strategies behind how to clean it best, and we're probably even going to pray about it, and maybe we'll get together once a fortnight and talk about cleaning my room and, and praying about cleaning my room. <laughs> how many of you know you just want to say, listen, I just want you to do it, right? Just clean the room. Just get it done. The point is, you haven't done it until you've done it, right? And so Paul is saying we have got to do good. You see, part of the challenge, friends, that we face as the church today in the 21st century, among the many challenges that we face, is the fact that for the last probably 200 years, the church has had an almost unhealthy obsession with right belief. We become so fixated on right thinking about God and right doctrine and right belief. And don't get me wrong, those things are important. But they aren't nearly as important as we think they are. And unfortunately, we become so obsessed with right thinking and right belief and right doctrine that it has almost eclipsed 
our understanding of the importance of right behavior. And if you take a moment to just consider what Jesus actually said, go into the Gospels, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and listen to what Jesus actually taught. You will discover that so much of what Jesus had to say was not about right belief, but about right behavior. In other words, it matters how we live. It matters what we do. And after 30 years of following Jesus, I'm coming to the realization that Christianity is less about a set of beliefs and more about a way of life. It's a way of living. It's a way of conducting yourself in the world. It is marked by being and by doing. And, and, and so we, we've kind of lost sight of the importance of this action imperative, this need to actually do good. Um, James, again, the, the half-brother of Jesus, writes about this in James chapter 2, verse 14 to 17. Listen to what he says. He says, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions. Can that kind of faith save anyone? Right? Is that going to be a benefit to anyone? Is that going to help anyone? Is that going to transform anybody's life? Is that going to make any kind of meaningful impact? Rhetorical question, the answer to which is obviously no. Suppose you see your brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and useless. Now, some may argue, well, some people have faith and others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Right? What James is saying here is, listen, there, there are really two kinds of belief going on here in, in the world. There's, there's this kind of passive belief where you kind of give mental intellectual assent to some propositional idea about who God is. And that's all good and well. But James says that kind of passive belief doesn't actually impact anybody's life. It doesn't actually change anything. It doesn't actually make a difference in this world. He says there's another kind of belief that is more of an act of trust. It's, it's a trust that translates into action, into behavior, into how we live, into how we conduct ourselves in this world. And James says that kind of faith is going to change the world. That kind of faith will result in deliverance and salvation and comfort and support and love and generosity. The kind of, the kind of faith that translates into an outworking of the love priority that Jesus taught his disciples. And so James is saying we've got we to be willing to do good. Do good. Because that doing good not only blesses and encourages and serves and supports and helps those who are on the receiving end of it, but it also serves to validate and substantiate the authenticity and the sincerity of our faith, right? Listen to how Jesus underscores this um, in John chapter 5 verse 36. Now, he's talking about himself here, and listen to what Jesus says. He says, I have testimony that is weightier than that of John, John the Baptist. For the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I am doing, testify that the Father has sent me. Right? Jesus is saying, the works that I do testify. The works that I do bear witness. And in the same way that the works that Jesus did bore witness to who he was and why he was here, the works that you do and the works that I do bear witness of us. And they either testify for us or against us. 
They either affirm our faith in Jesus or they undermine it, right? Your works are a witness. Or to put it another way, your actions speak louder than your words, right? And so these, these um, outworkings of love in service of others serve not only to bless and support and encourage and enrich and help, but they actually bear witness to the sincerity of our faith. Jesus, again, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 to 16, he's now talking to his disciples, and he says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and, give, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Right? Jesus is telling us here, you want to be light in the darkness and make a real difference in this world? Then make sure you live out your faith and live out the love priority that I'm teaching you and modeling for you by ensuring the world sees your good deeds. Okay? There's got to be a, a visible manifestation in terms of generosity and kindness and, and, and practical assistance, if we are going to be truly seen to be followers of Jesus. Um, a number of years ago, uh, McCrindle Research, which is a large research organization here in Australia, partnered up with uh, Olive Tree Media and a bunch of other Christian organizations, and they conducted a, a, a fairly large uh, research project that uh, surveyed just regular Australians, non-Christian, irreligious, non-church-going Australians, to assess their perception of the church. Uh, it was a fascinating piece of research, and, and amongst some of the other things that emerged from that research uh, was an insight into the minds of regular Australians uh, that indicated their preference, right, what, what persuades and convinces them most of Christian faith is a, a faith that is outworked in, in action in the lives of those who profess it. So listen to this little extract from an article that was written on, uh, on, on the report generated by this research. And it says the following. It says, three in four Aussies say that they are turned off investigating religion when they hear celebrities or public figures talk about their Christian faith. This new study of religion and spirituality is found. Stories of miraculous healing are also significant turn-offs. Turn Isn't that interesting? The results are part of the new Faith and Belief in Australia report produced by McCrindle Research in partnership with Olive Tree Media, Christian Media, Arts Association, and Christian Schools Australia, as well as the ministry training strategy. But sounding a note of hope, the greatest attraction to investigating spirituality and religion is seeing people live out genuine faith. In other words, what people out there in the world are telling us is, hey, we're honestly not impressed by your claims of the miraculous and the supernatural, as legitimate as they may be. And we're not too impressed when celebrities endorse the Christian faith. But you know what really impresses us? You know what persuades us? You know what convinces us? Is when we see people living out their faith, putting what they believe into action, translating that belief into works of kindness and generosity and selflessness and service. That is what an unbelieving world finds believable, right? So there's no surprise, friends, because 2,000 years ago, that's exactly what Jesus said. It's what I call the action attraction. When you and I do good in this world to everyone, not only are they blessed and encouraged and enriched and supported and strengthened and helped, but they are persuaded and they are convinced about the authenticity of our faith.
Uh, Paul the Apostle finally writing in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 to 19. This is in a set of writings called the Apostoral Epistles. And here Paul is writing to some young pastors, some young leaders, and he's giving them wisdom and guidance on how to build vital, thriving, healthy, growing local churches. And he says, listen, if you, if you want to you build the kind of ch- churches that are going to change this world, this is how you do it. And listen to what he says in 1 Timothy 6, verse 17 to 19. He says, teach those who are rich in this world. Now, I know some of you are think, okay, well, that doesn't apply to me, <laughs> right? Wake me up when we get to the part about the struggling middle class, all right? But let me tell you, if you are living in the sixth most livable city on earth, with access to all the public infrastructure and amenity that you have access to, with all the government support and funding and and all the peace and prosperity that is ours every single day, it's not a stretch of the imagination at all to say that you and I are some of the wealthiest people in the world. We would be in the top 1% to 2% of the richest people living on this planet. So I certainly think that this applies to us. He says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable, their trust should be in God who richly gives us all that we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up treasures as a good foundation for the life to come. What Paul is saying here is, if God has blessed you with material wealth, if you have money, then use that money not just to secure your own financial future or to store up as many possessions as you possibly can. No, he says, use that money to do good, to do good. Money is a terrible master, but it's a wonderful servant. And money must be made to serve. It must be made to serve the purposes of God. If you don't make money serve, you will let money rule. And we make money serve the purposes of God by using money to do good. But I think Paul's point here goes beyond money. Because the fact of the matter is, you may not have a lot of money right now. You may be sitting there thinking to yourself, I don't have a lot of money at my disposal. But you may have a lot of time. And so Paul's encouragement to you would be, well, why don't you take that time that you have right now and use it to do good? You might not be rich in material wealth and you may not have a lot of time on your hands, but you may be rich in talent and skill. And Paul's exhortation to you would be, well, why don't you take that talent and take that skill and use it to do good? Whatever resource God has blessed you with, whatever you have at your disposal, use it to do good. Because, friends, the truth of the matter is, in order to fulfill this biblical injunction to do good to everyone, you don't actually need a lot of money, and you don't need a lot of time. You certainly don't need permission. You don't need a platform. You don't need profile. You just need to be willing. You just need to be able to see the opportunity in the adversity and the difficulty and willing to seize it, to lay hold of it, to do something about it in order to maximize the full potential of that opportunity. And today, I want to encourage you to just for a moment, as you consider the reality of your life and all that you're facing, and whatever hardship or difficulty or, or, or unwanted and unexpected reality has kind of come upon you, and I want you to stop and ask the question, where's the opportunity? Where's the opportunity to do good? 
And at a practical level, what do I need to do? What do I need to do to lay hold of that opportunity so that it doesn't pass by? What do I need to do to maximize the full potential represented in that opportunity? How do I lay hold of that opportunity and do good so that those who are on the receiving end of that goodness are encouraged and helped and loved and served and maybe, maybe persuaded that the sincerity and the authenticity of your faith is worth following. And remember, friends, you haven't done it until you've done it. You haven't done it until you've done it. Amen? All right, how about we pray together? If you're in your living room right now with family and friends or on your own, why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes and here at Cannington and down at Bell Divers, wherever you are, lean into this moment as we pray together. Father, today we want to thank you so much for your incredible goodness to us. Thank you, God, that you have in so many ways opened the windows of heaven over our lives and poured out your favor and your blessing on us. God, we are gathered today. It's your people. We want to represent you well in this world. We want our lives to count for your kingdom. We want to be the kind of people through whom you can move and through whom you can work. So God, I pray that you would give us today eyes, eyes to see. Open the eyes of our understanding. Give us revelation. Give us insight. Help us to see, God, what you are seeing. Help us to see opportunity in the midst of our adversity. And God, I pray, give us the courage to rise up and lay hold of it, to go after it. And give us the creativity and the inventiveness and, and the innovativeness, whatever it is, God, that we need to practically respond to that opportunity and to do something that is going to profoundly and wonderfully and positively impact the people in this world whom you love so deeply. I pray, Father, that through that you would cause your light to shine in our lives in this world so that others might know that you are good and you are God. And Father, we pray all of these things in the precious, wonderful name of Jesus. And everyone who agreed said, Amen and Amen. God bless you, everybody. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more great resources and to keep yourself up to date, head to our website. Visit therocks.church.